Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to see you. Hello to those of you in our online campus. Thanks for joining us there. Parent viewing rooms, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And then uh, we also have some seating in our cafe area. So uh, hello to those of you hanging out there. And uh, man, this is awesome. It's a full crowd in here today. And I want to let you know we also have available seats at 8 and 11. (laughs) Just keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. what a fun fall day we have today. A couple of quick things. Uh, we do have uh, water baptism tonight. And really, water baptism is a way for you to say, my life has been changed because of Jesus. I've been made new because of Jesus. And so it's nothing I've done. It's what Jesus has done for me. And if you haven't taken that step yet, I want to encourage you to take that step this, uh, this evening. Uh, you can just sign up right on the Church Center app. You can write water baptism right on the back of your connection card. Uh, lots of ways to sign up. And it's not too late. I'd love for you to join us in that. And we would celebrate that with you. Uh, the other thing is is uh, it's so fun when we get to see global partners give us updates about what your generosity is already doing. And so I um, want to let you know that uh, in two weeks from today is our legacy offering. We do this once a year, uh, and we do this every November as a way to say, look, uh, above and beyond what we normally give, just our regular giving, uh, we want to do something that out- goes above and beyond that one time a year to say, well, let's dump into this bucket. And, and the goal with this is that 100% of us participate, and then we give 100% of it away. And then it's just fun to see like the different things that can happen when we say, God, here's, here's something that I want to give above and beyond. And, uh, and so we just say, what would, you, what would you have me do? And then we try to be obedient to what we feel God's speaking to us. And then we give it and we get to see just incredible things happen locally. We give it to local initiatives and global uh, projects. And uh, it's been fun to s- just to do that over the last couple of years. And the goal with that is that we continue to uh, leave a legacy that outlives our lives. So that's two weeks from today. Uh, you'll be able to just mark it on your church center app or uh, on an envelope and say, this, this portion of my giving is going towards the legacy project. Uh, and so that's November 20th. So we want to keep that in mind. Uh, now, uh, many of you know that... Um, my wife and I have four kids. Uh, many of you may not know that, but we do. <laughs> Even if you don't know it, we still have them. And um, so four kids. Our kids are 19, 16, 14, and 8. And um, you also know, some of you who are parents of more than one kid, that when you have more than one kid, uh, it's like the first kid comes along and you take pictures nonstop and you're recording everything and it's amazing. And by the time the fourth kid comes along, you know, they wonder if they even have a childhood because none of it's documented, you know? You got to give up. Uh, but when our first daughter was born, um, I bought a crib. Uh, we went crib shopping and, and got a crib and brought it home and I'm putting it together. And uh, I decided, like, I got this, right? I don't need to really follow the instructions. So, um, um, I, I put it together, it, it, five hours, it was pretty good. Uh, and I got it all put together and I was like, yes, after five very frustrating hours. And then I realized I was supposed to build it in her room. <laughs> and so I had to take it all apart and then get it through the door and then reassemble it inside the room. And uh, I'm just really glad that she didn't understand the words I was saying at that point. Uh, Another time, and we've all had this, right? Where like projects that we thought would go well, uh, and then it didn't go well. And projects that we thought would, oh, I can just ignore the instructions, and it didn't work so well. So uh, maybe it was a, uh, a Barbie house that you put together, a Christmas gift, right? And Barbie house, and, and thought, oh, I'll get it put together the night before, and it didn't go well. And you're like, no, it's not supposed to have a roof on it. That's so you can play with the dolls inside. Uh, and the roof is like, you know, <laughs> you kicked it to the curb. Uh, another time, uh, I'll, I'll never forget this. My wife, uh, this is several years ago, uh, she's, our, our grill was on its last leg. I mean, it was just like, it was pretty much done for. Like one burner worked. And she's like, hey, I'm at Costco. There's this, there's this grill on clearance. Should I get it? And I said, yeah, well, let's just, let's grab it. 
Uh, and she gets it home and it's in a box. And a little pro tip for you if you're grill shopping, find the floor model. It's already put together. She's like, I want that one. I'll buy the floor model. Uh, because it came in this box, and I'm putting it together. And I, I actually brought home some steak to have for dinner that night. I'm like, I'm going to put steaks on the grill. It's going to be awesome. So like 5 o'clock, I start putting the grill together. 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Uh, the grill's still not put together. And what I didn't know is it was a Traeger, which is like a pellet smoker. Now, those of you that you know, know what a Traeger is, they're, they're sweet. But you have to have pellets. I didn't know that. I thought I would turn it on. I'll grill my steak. So about 9 o'clock rolls around. I finally get it put together. And I'm like, all right, how do I start this thing? And they're like, pour the pellets in the hopper. And I was like, what are we? Pellets? What is going on here? I don't have pellets. I start calling stores for pellets. Everybody's out of them. It's like mid-July. Everybody's. It's premium pellet season, right? And so I had to like hoof it 30 miles away to a Walmart and like get pellets. And I was like, I will not be beaten. I'm eating steak tonight, right? So I get home at like 9.30, put the pellets in there. I open up the instructions and it says the first time you use the Traeger, you've, gotta, you've just got to let it go for an hour on its own to really seal everything in. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I waited an hour. I put my steak on at like 11.15. I mean, it was amazing. I'm like, I'm having steak. I don't care. Midnight, baby. Woo, it was delicious. But I'm just telling you, we've all had those things, right? Where it's like, I wish that I would have learned a little bit better. And we've had projects that didn't go well the first time. And that's OK, right, when it comes to a crib or a barbie house or, or a grill. But what do you do when you're making decisions that have a bigger impact on your life? And it didn't go the way that you expected. What happens when it's things aren't going so well in my relationship? What happens when it's your career or financially or emotionally or spiritually? How do you make sure that next time isn't like the last time? And that's really uh, what James talks about in this part of his letter. Over the last several weeks, we've been diving into uh, this letter that James, the brother of Jesus, writes to first century followers of Jesus who are living scattered across the Roman Empire. And he's giving them uh, some, he's pulling from a couple of sources. He pulls from some of the teachings of Jesus, and he pulls from the wisdom from the Proverbs. And he says, basically, let's put these together. Here's some practical wisdom for how to move your faith forward and what it looks like to, to have that have an impact on your day-to-day -day life. And, and so I, I think one of the reasons James has to talk so much about wisdom throughout this letter is really because the people who lived in the first century do not behave all that differently from those of us who live today. We tend to make emotional decisions in the moment. And all of us make thousands of decisions every single day. In fact, uh, Inc. Magazine recently published a, an article on decision making. And in the article, they point to a study that says that the average adult in the United States makes about 35,000 decisions every day. It's mind boggling, isn't it? It's things like, uh, you know, uh, what, what, how much coffee should I have? What should I put in my coffee? What should I have for breakfast? What should I wear today? Just all of these little decisions. And we don't even think about it. Most of them are kind of just automatic or most of them are, are oftentimes just kind of muscle memory or reflex. But the truth is we make thousands and thousands of decisions every single day. And that's kind of fascinating. So when it comes to making decisions, we need more than just knowledge and information. We actually need wisdom. We actually need to know how to apply the knowledge. Knowledge is just, it's, it's information. And, and we can make decisions based on information. Wisdom is the ability to actually make the best decisions based on the knowledge that's available. Knowledge is, uh, I can build a crib. Wisdom is, I can build it in the room it's supposed to be in. <laughs> knowledge is, I know that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is recognizing I don't put it in the fruit salad, right? And so as the truth is, the, the amount of knowledge that we have as a, as a culture has increased. 
as technology has increased, we have more information than we know what to do with. We just don't always have a lot of wisdom. So what we end up with is a whole lot of knowledge and very little wisdom about how to apply it. And so what, what happens in our culture is that we buy into a common myth around wisdom. We think that if we can get wisdom through this, wisdom comes from experience. That's the myth that we buy into. That because I had an experience, that I'll do better the next time. I experienced this, so I'll do better the next time. Uh, just because I went through something, I'll do it differently the next time. But that's not always true. In fact, uh, really, wisdom uh, or uh, experience, rather, just makes you older. It doesn't necessarily make you any wiser, right? I mean, experience makes you more tired. Experience makes you poorer. Experience makes you angrier. Experience makes you lonelier. It doesn't necessarily make you wiser. But here's the truth. If we dive into this a little bit, wisdom actually comes from humility. Wisdom doesn't just come from experience. Wisdom comes from humility. And James is going to walk this through us. And you know it's true simply by watching other people make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And they never seem to learn from their previous experience because experience alone doesn't make you wiser, right? And maybe you've even experienced this in your own life, that you're like, why do I keep falling into the same decision over and over again? The experience itself didn't make you any wiser. And we're all familiar with people who had a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge And in our culture, people are able to use their knowledge and their experience and leverage that into a lot of wealth and fame and success. And yet, here's what we know. We watch in our culture through social media and through the news media, we watch as people with a lot of wealth and a lot of fame and a lot of what we would call success derail their lives with a lack of wisdom. We we watch as they shipwreck their lives because they don't use wisdom, even though they have tons of knowledge and tons of experience. They posted something uh, dumb on social media and now they get canceled and they're losing endorsement deals and they're losing reputation. Oftentimes uh, they make an impulsive decision based on the emotion of the moment and it costs them a career. We watch as somebody does something that they know they shouldn't have done or maybe they didn't even realize it. They, they, they fooled themselves into doing something that was uh, self-centered and, and they lost a marriage. They lost a relationship with their kids. They, they, they missed out on something and it's because... They had all the experience. They just didn't have wisdom. And it comes from not just gaining experience, but through humility. And usually it's because we make emotional decisions with the knowledge we have instead of leaning into the wisdom that God wants to give us. And I'm the same way, and you're the same way. We can all look at decisions we've made that were in the emotion of the moment, and we wish we could go back and undo that. And when we're stressed, when we're going through a difficult season, when we feel the pressure of life, uh, we tend to make emotional decisions based on our current knowledge and ignore the wisdom that God so graciously offers us. And there's something about that. Even simple decisions become challenging. We, we agonize over it. We procrastinate. We, we feel uh, anxious. But the good news for us is that it doesn't have to be that way. When we feel the pressure of decision-making, it's important that we build our lives on God's wisdom and not on our own knowledge. There's something to be said for that. The goal is for God's wisdom to become habitual, for it to become uh, muscle memory, for it to become automatic. Without thinking, we just go, okay, God, what does your wisdom say? And I'm gonna, that's going to be my default setting. This was actually the uh, coaching philosophy of Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy was a guy who was uh, actually passed up by several NFL teams. He had interviewed for coaching positions, uh, and four NFL uh, teams decided to pass on him. And the reason that they passed on him had a lot to do with his coaching philosophy. See, Tony Dungy uh, had this uh, philosophy that said uh, he, 
he would just kind of patiently explain his belief is the key to winning is to changing players' habits. He said that players in the NFL were making too many decisions on the field that they had to think through. And so they, were, they had a reaction time that wasn't fast enough and that if they could actually uh, create specific habits that literally when faced with a situation would just become muscle memory, would become reflex, it wouldn't give the other team a chance to respond. He wanted them to respond automatically, habitually, reflex. His attitude was this. He said, champions don't do extraordinary things. They do ordinary things, but they do them without thinking, too fast for the other team to react. They follow the habits they've learned. And so some of the GMs and owners just decided, I don't know if that's really a great philosophy. And eventually the Tampa Bay Buccaneers decided to take a chance on Tony Dungy. They'd had 14 consecutive losing seasons. And finally they they, uh, hired Tony Dungy and he came in and immediately turned their franchise around. They ended up having several winning seasons, going to the playoffs several times, having the best record they've ever had. And then after he left, a couple of years later, they actually won the Super Bowl based on many of the things that he brought to the team. And then he went to the Indianapolis Colts where he ended up uh, taking them to a Super Bowl victory in 2007, instilling some of this same idea that if we can make this our default setting without having to think about it, just habitual, this muscle memory, that that would be a way for them to win games. And the same is true when we're making decisions. When we feel uh, the pressure of decision-making, we need a principle that we can lean on that's muscle memory. We need a principle we can lean on that we just go, this is my default setting. So when I'm faced with a decision and I'm not sure what to do, what's my default setting that I can lean into? In fact, that's why James writes in his letter so much about wisdom. He says this, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So here's what James would suggest. He makes it pretty clear that wisdom and understanding God's ways, they come through humility. Humility is the way to access those things. In other words, humility means this. I recognize my appropriate position in the world in relation to God. God's God, I'm not. That's humility. It's possible that the universe does not revolve around me. I'm open to that suggestion. That's humility. See, humility means even though I have some knowledge and even though I have experience, that I may not always know what's best for me in the long run. That maybe there's someone who knows better than me. I still may not know the best way to apply my knowledge and my experience. And so I'm looking to the one who created life to begin with. And when I display that type of humility that acknowledges God, your way might be better than my way. James says it actually has an impact on my day-to-day life. It actually leads me to an honorable life. But you only get that through humility. In fact, James is really describing something that he's pulling uh, from the Proverbs. In Proverbs, Solomon writes this, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Fear of the Lord. Now, we actually read this verse uh, this last week as a family, and uh, this, this verse came up, and my eight-year-old goes, wait a second, we're, so we're supposed to be afraid of God? And I was like, that's a fair question. (laughs) Let's talk through that. I said, listen, a fear of God is the foundation of wisdom because it recognizes a healthy respect for the authority that God has, his position, that he's God and I'm not. So I said, let me help you understand this. Are you afraid of me as your dad? He's like, well, no. And I was like, good. I don't want you to be afraid of me, but you do what I ask you to do based on the fact that I'm the dad and you're the kid, right? 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 (laughs) He's like, eh. But that's the reality. 
The reality is he, he trusts me as his dad and there's a healthy respect because you're dad, I'm kid. And it's the same, uh, it's the same relationship that we have towards uh, people in authority in any position of our life. Well, uh, they're the employer, I'm the employee. They're the police officer, I'm the one getting the ticket. Uh, you know, they're, they're the, there's a healthy respect. I'm not afraid of you, but there's a, there's a, there's a healthy respect based on your position and my position. And, and James says, and he's pulling from the Proverbs, he says, this is where wisdom really begins. It's an understanding, a healthy respect for the position that God's in and the position that I'm in. In fact, uh, the beginning of wisdom, the way to live an honorable life, the beginning of understanding God's ways is just to recognize God's God, I'm not. Humility leaves room for God to continue to help me grow. I, I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says about humility. C.S. Lewis says this, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. It's not going, oh, I, I'm no good. I just I, I, like downing myself and, and putting myself down. That's just a false humility that's rooted in trying to get attention to me. That's manipulative. C.S. Lewis says, no, it's just actually thinking about yourself less. Just recognizing uh, the world does not revolve around me. And then James continues to talk about wisdom. And in the next few verses that we're going to read for just a couple of minutes, James contrasts two different types of wisdom. And there's two types of wisdom that are available to all of us. It just depends on which type of wisdom we tend to lean into that leads us down separate paths. And the first is what James calls earthly wisdom or human wisdom. In fact, in our culture, many of us might even call it conventional wisdom. Well, conventional wisdom says to do this. But is it possible? Is it possible that human wisdom or conventional wisdom has the potential to lead us down a path away from humility and towards our own self if we're not careful? This is what James would suggest, and here's why. See, human wisdom puts me first. Human wisdom is all about me. It's about putting me first. And so James is, uh, starts off by telling us wisdom and humility actually go hand in hand. They're, they're compatible with each other. When your cup is already full, you're not in a position to receive anything from God. Humility empties me of me so that I can actually get something from God. And so then he tells us, here's where earthly wisdom, here's where this human wisdom, maybe even conventional wisdom, here's where it leads. James says this, if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and he even goes so far as to say even demonic. Like the idea that I should live for me is actually an idea that is rooted in the enemy. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. There you will find disorder. Human wisdom is all about making sure that I do what I can to satisfy me. Conventional wisdom is all about satisfying me. James says it creates a selfish ambition that leads to bitterness, it leads to jealousy, it leads to insecurity, and this isn't the kind of wisdom that God offers. But often what happens is this. We practice self-deception. In other words, this, this shows up a lot through James's letter, we tend to fool ourselves. We tend to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're more spiritual than we really are, to thinking that, we're, uh, that our faith is moving forward when it really isn't. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that if you, just, if you listen to, the, to what God is speaking, but you don't actually put it into practice, it's so easy to fool ourselves. And James says, this is what we do. We have a tendency to fool ourselves because we think, well, I, I'm using conventional wisdom or human wisdom, and, uh, and it's actually bringing me some success in this life. 
And James says it's easy then to cover over the, the parts in our lives where our faith actually isn't moving forward. What if human wisdom stands in contrast to God's wisdom? What if conventional wisdom, the way culture says this is how you should operate, what if it stands in contrast to the way God says to operate? What if the way culture operates is actually putting me first and, and causing my life to become out of order or disordered? Now think about that. James says putting me first as a way of practice might seem good. It might actually lead to some success in your life, but it's actually a form of pride that leads to a disordered life. It's actually a form of pride that says putting me first is all about trying to acquire or achieve or experience good things, but in the wrong order. And when my life gets out of order, it leads me to selfishness and bitterness and jealousy and insecurity. And pretty soon I, I, I find myself in a place in life that I don't want to be. Let me give you a few examples of this. And again, we don't do this intentionally. This comes about because James says we're able to deceive ourselves. And also, let me give you some examples. And before I do, I, I want you to know this. There's zero judgment about any of this. We, we have all felt the pressure in all of these areas. But the truth is, this is not about how God sees you. This isn't how much God loves you. This has nothing to do with any of that. This is just about wisdom and where it leads. And so here's some examples of this, right? Human wisdom says this. Human wisdom says, you should, if you're dating someone and you're getting serious, that you should move in together and that you should sleep together before you get married. That's human wisdom. It's conventional wisdom. It's the way our culture operates. Nobody would bat an eye at that. Nobody would think twice about that. And yet, here's what I can tell you. I've sat with couple after couple after couple who have experienced some of the backlash of that. I don't, I don't even need a, a Bible verse to tell you that uh, statistically speaking, when people live together before they get married, the odds of them experiencing divorce at some point in that relationship go way up. Now, I'm not saying if you're living together, you're, you're heading towards divorce. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it, it's counterintuitive, and here's why. One says conventional wisdom makes sense. It might be financially beneficial. Uh, we get to see if we're compatible before we move in together, right? Uh, before we get married. But here's what God's wisdom says. God's wisdom says marriage is meant to be a, a I'm 100% committed to you and you're 100% committed to me. I give my all to you, you give your all to me. And what happens when you move in together is, and, and you're, you're doing everything that married people do without the commitment of marriage. And what ends up happening is it puts a lot of pressure on that relationship. And oftentimes it breeds insecurity because you're doing everything married people do without actually having the commitment of marriage. And it actually leads to insecurity. And then if you eventually break up and you don't get married, people move out, he moved out, she moved out. And what happens is it's almost like a divorce. And then people wonder when they eventually do get married, if it doesn't work out, that becomes the thing. Well, we, we started practicing marriage and divorce. And guess what? Practice makes perfect. And that becomes a habit in your life. And godly wisdom says, look, this isn't about how much I love you. This isn't about how I view you. This is, this is because I love you and because I care about you. I would just suggest this is probably the best way to live. Here's another one. Human wisdom says, if someone hurts you, unfriend them, cancel them. If they betray you, you put up a wall. You make sure that they can't ever do that to you again. That's just, that's conventional wisdom. Human wisdom is how our culture operates. God says, you know what? When, when you needed forgiveness and you didn't deserve it, I extended forgiveness to you. And so I want you to extend to others what has so graciously been extended to you. And this is not to let them off the hook. This is to set yourself free from the burden of bitterness. 
And that doesn't mean you trust them immediately. Trust and forgiveness are very different things. Forgiveness is something, a decision that you make in the moment that says, I'm not going to carry bitterness anymore. Trust is earned back over time. And it may never be earned back in this lifetime, but that doesn't mean you withhold forgiveness. But conventional wisdom says, no, 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 cancel them, unfriend them, block them. I don't want anything to do with them. Jesus says, no, 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 forgiveness was given to you, so you give it to others. Conventional wisdom, human wisdom, says independence is essential. One of the messages I got you know, early on was like, do good in high school, get good grades so you can get into a good college, so you can get a good job, so you can make lots of money so that you can be independent. It's the quintessential American dream, right? I'm a self-made man. I don't depend on anybody for anything. I pull myself up by my bootstraps and make it happen. This is the message of America. It's human, it's human wisdom. It's conventional wisdom that says anything I can do to achieve independence. And yet, godly, God's wisdom says this. We actually need each other. We're actually dependent on each other. I depend on you, you depend on me. And that we actually help each other get better because we are, we are interdependent on one another. That in the body of Christ, we actually work best when we work collectively on mission. See, it goes against conventional wisdom and human wisdom. Human wisdom defines success by what you achieve. God's wisdom defines success by the type of person you're becoming, that you're becoming more like Jesus. Human wisdom says that you should try to make as much money as you can and try to hold on to as much money as you can. God's wisdom says everything we have has been entrusted to us by God, and so we should take some of that and we should invest it in things that have eternal impact, that we can't take any of it with us when we die, but we can send it on ahead. We can invest in things that will outlive our lives, things that make a difference in eternity. Well, so, so God doesn't want me to have money? No, no, no. God's not against you having money, but we just put it in the wrong order. Over and over, James says it's, it leads to disorder. Wherever you see selfish ambition, you find disorder of every kind. In other words, you're doing the right things out of order. You're, you're, you're pursuing good things, but in the wrong order. And so he says, look, uh, God doesn't, isn't against you having money. We just put it in the wrong bucket first. So we put it into our bucket before we invest in anything eternal. Here's how it looks in our culture. When I, when I get uh, money, God says this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, before you do anything else, I want you to give right off the top. I want you to invest in something of eternal significance. Because what you're saying then is my money doesn't own me. And I'm not trusting in my money. I'm, God, I'm trusting in you. And then save some. That's just wise. And then live on the rest. And here's what we do. Here's what conventional wisdom says. Here's what human wisdom says. Here's how our culture operates. When I get money, I spend on me. And if there's any left, I might save a little. And if there's any left after that, I'm going to give God a tip. Hey, God, appreciate the eternal life and the whatnot. Here's a tip for you. And here's the reality. You can do that. And it does not change how God feels about you. But you just have to know. It'll probably lead you down a path that you don't want to go. James says it leads towards selfishness. It leads towards, eventually, bitterness jealousy, insecurity, and it isn't God's type of wisdom. Does God love you? Absolutely. Does it change anything how God sees you? Not at all. But it may lead you down a path you don't want to go. In fact, the Apostle Paul shares some of the exact same ideas. Paul started churches in the first century, wrote to uh, letters to followers of Jesus, and here's what he writes. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, right? That's human wisdom. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The way to become new is to start to think about things a little bit differently. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
In other words, you can kind of pick up your feet and allow the current of culture to sweep you wherever it's going to go. And when you do that, you will look just like everybody else. Your life will look just like everybody else. You'll be an exact replica and copycat of everybody else in culture and in society. And if that's what you want, go for it. But the Apostle Paul says, you got to ask yourself, when it comes to marriage, do I want it to look like everybody else in culture? When it comes to my finances, do I want to be like everybody else in our culture? When it comes to parenting, do I want it to look just like everybody else in culture? When it comes to generosity, when it comes to my friendships, when it comes to my character and my integrity, do I want it to look just like everybody else in culture? Is that what I'm shooting for? Is that the goal? And yet Paul says the way to worship God is to actually think differently because if you start to think differently, then you become transformed. In other words, there's a good chance that next time won't be like the last time because you're starting to think differently about it. You're leaning away from human wisdom, the the behaviors and customs of this world, and you're leaning into God's wisdom. And then Paul says, the good news is, man, when you put this into practice, he says, you start to discover God's will for you. And what you start to learn about God's will is that it's actually good and pleasing and perfect, that God actually wants good things for you, that God wants more good things for you than you even ever imagined for yourself. And is there anybody here who doesn't want that? And the way that you do that is to open yourself up to thinking differently. And the way to to say, okay, there's a chance for me to think differently about this is humility. It's to say, I don't know everything there is to know about this. I'm open to the idea and the possibility of thinking differently. This is why church is important. This is why this matters. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, this matters because what we're doing is we're saying, uh, let me present you with some information. Let me present you with some ideas that may bump into your current way of thinking. And now you have the opportunity to say, okay, I can, I can do whatever I want with this. This, this is the beauty of, uh, of church. This is the beauty of Christianity. This is the beauty of the message of Jesus. You get to do whatever you want to do with this. You get to walk out of here and go, man, that guy is whack. That cult, whew, never going back to that place. And that's great. You have the freedom to do that. You, you, might, you might jump in the minivan and be like, man, you know what? <laughs> I'm never going back to that crazy place again because they just keep pushing against the way that I think. And you get to do that. But here's the beauty of this. You get to show up here and we're going to push against a little bit of the way that you think. And then you have the opportunity to go, there's a possibility that I need to rethink this. There's a possibility that I need to change this. There's a possibility that I need to maybe do this a little bit differently. There's a possibility that maybe God's way is different than the way that I'm currently living. And now I have the opportunity to take a step in God's direction. That's why this matters. That's why joining a small group matters because you're in a, in a circle with people that you're in relationship with and you go, hey, what about this part of my life? How do I handle this? How do I make this decision? How do I, how do I navigate this relationship in light of God's wisdom? Not in, I've got some experience in that area. I've got some understanding in that area, but in light of God's wisdom, I'm trying to lean more into God's wisdom. I'm trying to make that the default setting. I'm trying to make that kind of my reflex and my go-to, my muscle memory. What would that look like in this relationship or in this decision? And you have people around you who know you who are going, hey, this is, here's how we handle that. Here's how we navigate that. Let let us walk with you through that season. When we change the way that we think, it helps us to make sure that next time isn't just like the last time. And James says, if you're going to do that, at some level, it requires humility. And so human wisdom is all about putting me first. But then he contrasts that. He says this. God's wisdom puts God and others first. God's wisdom is all about going like this. Okay, God, here's your way. 
What would it look like if I'm putting you and others first? In fact, if you ever wonder like, okay, I have a decision to make and I wonder if I'm actually, I wonder if I'm actually leaning into God's wisdom or not. Like I, sometimes it's unclear. Here's a great grid for you. Is this about putting me first or is this about putting God and others first? Because that'll tell you all, everything you need to know. Is this all about making sure that I get ahead? Because if it is, then this is probably not God's wisdom. Or is this about making sure that I'm honoring God and others? And if that's the case, then there's a pretty good chance I'm leaning into God's wisdom one way or another. See, uh, James describes for us how human wisdom causes us to do things out of order from the way God intended. But godly wisdom is when we do the right things in the right order. In fact, this word that you hear in the scriptures, righteousness, which is kind of a Bible word, really just means rightness. And it really just means I'm doing the right things in the right way for the right reasons. That's it. And so I can actually be doing the right things in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, and I can be dead wrong. James says, no, when you're doing the right things the right way for the right reasons, that's rightness or righteousness. And here's how he describes this type of wisdom. He says, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Now, that's such a great description. And when you look at the contrast of these two things, see, it says, in the context of what James is saying, he says, pure means it's not um, divided. It's not out of order. It's, it's not motivated by selfish ambition. He says, God's wisdom is peace-loving. When making decisions, I'm not looking for who to oppose or who to blame or who to attack. I'm looking for ways to bring people together. When there's a fire, I'm not looking to throw f uh, fuel on the fire. I I'm looking to put it out. God's wisdom is gentle which doesn't mean weak. Gentle just means strength under control. It means I can drive a car, but I learn how to control it so I'm not hitting people. Strength under control, that's gentle. That means when I'm making decisions, I respond instead of react. I, I'm, I'm mindful of others. I realize there's more to life than my goals and my needs and my agendas and my interests. He says, God's wisdom is willing to yield to others. It defers. Now, that's not a word we use a lot. But you know, if you've ever been around someone who's willing to yield to others, who, who is willing to defer, that's somebody you want to be around. That, that's something that you want to experience. And when making decisions, I'm able to get out of my own echo chamber and I'm able to learn from others and I'm able to see their point of view, even if I don't agree with it. I'm not defensive. I approach things with an open mind. God's wisdom is full of mercy. It extends compassion to people. It, it, even when they're experiencing something that is self-induced. It says, I don't emphasize the mistakes in the past of others. I see them through the lens of who God has created them to be, not through the lens of their past behavior. That's mercy motivated. God's wisdom is full of good deeds. When making decisions, I'm thinking of others and how I can be a blessing to them in their lives. God's wisdom shows no favoritism. It's always sincere, which means if I'm driven by God's wisdom, when I'm doing things in the proper order and I'm putting God and others first, then I can actually make decisions that are free of bias and, and free of prejudice. Prejudice just means to prejudge. And so uh, it means I'm able to make decisions without pressuring the people around me to think the way that I think or to embrace the worldview that I've embraced or to see, the, see things the way that I see things. And James just says over and over again, this, this is the contrast. You have one, one thing that's all about me. I'm at the center. And the other one says, nope, I'm going to put God and others first. And if you're going to live with godly wisdom, he just says, look, the way to achieve that is you, you got to have humility. It's the only way to get there. And if you'll do this, if you'll choose God's wisdom over human wisdom, here's the result. He says this, 
we can participate in heaven today. So this morning we sing this song called Hymn of Heaven. It says, you know, one day it, it describes this one day all of our tears will be wiped away. All the prayers we've prayed in desperation will be answered and we'll get to sing a song of joy celebrating together with generations of people throughout the, the history of humanity. Like, like what a picture that paints. And then I love the end of that song. It says, and let it be today we sing the song of heaven. Let it be today. In other words, we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to sing about the experience and the reality of heaven. Let it be today. One of my favorite authors, John Orberg, says it this way. Eternity is now in session. It's already happening. When Jesus came into the world, the message Jesus came with was not, hey, these are the minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven when you die. You never hear that from Jesus. The message Jesus came to bring was this. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has now come, and you're invited to participate in it now. Which means this, the kingdom of God is just a way of living that we're invited into. It's a way of living where we prioritize God and his ways over me and my ways. This is everything James is talking about. And when we realize, when we start to live in a way that's exactly what we were created to begin with, that's why we exist. We are participating in heaven here and now. We don't have to wait to heaven to experience it. When we prioritize God and his ways, we are bringing heaven to earth because the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God has come. And here's what James kind of ends this section with. He says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness or rightness. The result of living according to God's wisdom, doing the right things, the right ways for the right reasons, allows me to participate in heaven here and now. And so let's summarize this. Let's put it all together. There's two types of wisdom. There's God's wisdom and there's human wisdom. And the only way to gain a wisdom that comes from God is to begin with humility, to recognize my appropriate position in the universe in relation to God. He's God, I'm not. And God's wisdom is rooted in a high respect for God and a desire to live a life that brings honor to God. And human wisdom is rooted in a high respect for me and the desire to fulfill my ambitions and my desires in my way as quick as possible. God's wisdom thinks God and others first. How does this honor God? How does this uh, become a blessing in the lives of other people that are created in his image? Human wisdom thinks me first. How does this decision shine a spotlight on me and make me happy? And here's the crazy thing. When you think about this, most of us don't even know what would make us happy long-term. We think about what would make me happy short-term, and often the decisions that we make, the decisions you make, the decisions I make, that make me happy short-term actually don't make me happy long-term. Sometimes they're the most destructive. And how many times in life have you done something because you were convinced it would make you happy, but in the end, it caused you pain? Our lives are filled with those kinds of stories because I want to make me happy, and without realizing it, I'm making decisions that are driven by jealousy, insecurities, selfish ambition, and James says these decisions often end up hurting myself and others. And we all know this is true. In our own pursuit of happiness, driven by our own selfish ambitions. No one has betrayed me as much as I've betrayed me. And no one has deceived me as much as I've deceived myself. And no one has harmed me more than I've harmed myself when I've made decisions in the moment rooted in selfish ambition. And so we have to decide, are we going to listen to human wisdom, conventional wisdom, or are we going to think differently and make decisions based on God's wisdom? And when we make the decision ahead of time, and we simply say yes to God's wisdom, even when it contradicts human or conventional wisdom, it becomes a reflex. It becomes automatic. It becomes my default setting. It becomes muscle memory. It becomes habitual. 
here's what I want to get to. Okay, God, how do you want me to handle this? And before you even answer, before I even know what the answer is, yes. Okay, God, how should I handle this situation? Okay, now before, before I even get that, I just want you to know my answer is yes. Before I, before I understand how to navigate this relationship, whatever, whatever wisdom you give me, I want you to know the answer is yes. That it's going to be my default setting. It's going to be my muscle memory to go with yours over mine. I, I have a decision to make, and before I make it, I'm not going to view it through the lens of human wisdom and conventional wisdom. I want to view it through the lens of your wisdom. Because I know when I, when I make decisions based on me, it gets my life out of order. It leads to disorder. Instead, I'm going to ask the question through the lens of God's wisdom. And God, in spite of what culture is doing and in spite of how others might see this, how can I make that decision that I'm doing in the right things, the right way, for the right reasons? Whatever that is, I'm going to do it. And here's the deal. If that hasn't been your experience, if you've lived according to your own wisdom and it's led you to a place that you don't want to be, here's the good news. God is way more concerned with your future than he is with your past. God does not deal with what should have been. God deals with what is. And I want you to know God is constantly extending his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And you can begin today to live differently than you've lived in the past. It looks like this. This is our final verse. It comes from the Proverbs, one of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. In other words, it doesn't mean, God, I don't have any understanding. I don't have any experience. No, no, no. I have, I have understanding. I have experience. I have knowledge in this area. But when my knowledge and my understanding bumps into yours, I'm going to go with yours. So don't trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That's what God wants for you. And if you keep going down wrong paths, God still loves you. It doesn't change anything how God feels about you. It doesn't stop God from continuing to pursue you and extend you his love and his grace and his forgiveness. But you might come back to him with a few more scars and a few more regrets. And because God loves you and because God is for you, he doesn't want you to experience that. So wisdom says, God, I'm going to trust you and your way. I'm going to make that my default setting. And so for some of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to realign some of our thinking and say, God, I'm going to pull some of these areas. I've been pursuing them because I think it'll make me happy. But in the end, I know that if I seek to honor you, you're going to give me the desires of my heart. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're watching online and you've never said yes to following Jesus. And you need to know this invitation is extended to you and it isn't based on anything you've done or haven't done. It's based on the God of the universe who created you and he loves you and he has invited you to be a part of his family. If you've never said yes to that, you can say yes by just agreeing with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I recognize in the pursuit of me, not even intentionally, just... I've been able to deceive myself. And in the pursuit of trying to make me happy, I've actually made some decisions that have made me pretty unhappy. It's caused brokenness between myself and you and myself and others. And so I pray, forgive my sins. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son, make me your daughter and help me to follow you in your way of living life as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, for every one of us, every person in this room, every person watching online, as we do our best to pursue God's wisdom. May it be our default setting. Uh, may we not lean on our own understanding, our own knowledge, our own experience, but may we instead put our trust in you. May we have this response that says, okay, God, whatever the answer is, I just want you to know it's yes before I even know what the outcome is. And as we do that, may our lives be an incredible reflection of your love and your grace 
your wisdom to the world around us. We love you. We commit this week to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.